Amen. We just want to make the load light there tomorrow for Rick and Donna aren't moving. <laughs> They're just getting to deal with moving. And so, um, you know, and Jake, he can't, uh, you know what? Can you hear me? My phone It's right there. I forgot I got to pull something up there. Uh, Jake can't do anything and Morgan's chasing a bunch of babies around. So it does make her difficult for her to do a whole lot too. So we just want to help him get, get this adjustment. And um, I know many hands make the load light. So if you can, you want to help. It, it's not that much, but if there's a bunch of us, it'll really be quick. But um, hey man, how, how, are you thankful tonight for, for the, the move of the Lord toward our life? Are you thankful for his direction toward us? I, I watch a lot of preaching different services, and it's not literally, I, I don't intend just to watch to be critical. I got to admit, I end up being critical many times, but I don't watch to be critical. But one of the people that I watch so frequently, his message is the same every week. It's a rah-rah, pre-football game, fire up the troops, we're going to make it, and we're going to kick the devil in the teeth, and it's just every single week. And I just, I'm left thinking every time, what is it you build on in that? And so tonight, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to wow you up here tonight. I'm not trying to, um, I know pastor feels the same way. I'm grateful for the labor. In order for us to grow, we've got to be given things that nourish us. They have to feed our spirit. And a lot of that is that we have to grow, the scripture says, in the grace, which we've been growing in grace around here, Amen. And knowledge. So much of Pentecost is about not knowledge. It's about wild spirit and crazy stuff. And, but we need to grow in the grace and the knowledge. It does not tell us to grow in charismatic adventure. But to grow in the grace and the knowledge. And so oftentimes when pastor preaches and when I preach, and I have other brothers too, but um, our, our intention I know is not, like I said, to entertain you tonight. I'm not trying to preach something to you that will leave you saying, wow. But I, do, I did see something myself that the Lord showed me. Um, I, I had intended not to use Acts as a text in my next message, but I can't. So I have to use it as a text. Um, but the Lord just helped me to see something that really is, is putting it together. And that's what I'm trying to do tonight. I'm trying to give you another piece of the puzzle. I'm not putting together the puzzle for you. I'm just trying to give you another piece so you can put it in order and the, and the, the Lord can be um, grown in your life. Amen? Amen? So I want you to look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Now this is very, very, very familiar passage of Scripture to those who are in the apostolic movement. It's quoted literally every service pretty much. Um, and uh, Brother Mark Holcomb used to say something that I have had to steal uh, through the years, and that was, though some may abuse it, we still have to use it. Um, I don't think that applies to everything, but I think that it does apply to Scripture. The Word of God is true. Let every man be a liar, and God be the truth. And so there's, there's the truth in the Word of God and, and what God's trying to, to get to in us. Um, so I want you to look at Acts 2, 38. just want to read this one verse for right now. Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized. I want, you to, I want you to pay attention to the structure of this sentence. Okay? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remissions of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now look at Luke chapter 3. And this is where we're going to primarily focus tonight. 
Luke chapter 3 and verses 1 through 3 to begin with. Now the 15th year in the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being the tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of Uturia, Uturia, I don't know how you say it, and the region of Trachonitis and Licinius, the tetrarch of Abilene. And Annas and Caiaphas, see there's some groundwork. I, I, I in the past have ignored all of these things, and while I'm not going to dive into it tonight, it is setting a time frame for us of when this is happening. Um, I used to gloss over these things. Now they interest me in a, in a different way. We're not going to cover any of that tonight, but Annas and Caiaphas being the high priests, and the word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness, and he came into all of the country of Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. That sound like Acts 2.38 to you. Well, I'm going to put it together tonight. Lord, I ask you that you would help me. God, I know you spoke some things into my heart and helped me to see some, some things I had not thought of before. And I pray that you would do that tonight for everybody who's here and who is listening, who's open to you. And while this, this message is, is really uh, not, not a, an intention of, of uh, uh, encouraging um, some kind of hyper praise, Lord, but just a, a knowledge growth in our lives that we would understand more about you and what your purpose and intention for us is. And I just pray that you would move in me and anoint me to be able to deliver what you have put in my heart, Jesus. And everybody say amen. amen. The baptism of repentance. Same words used in both passages. I believe that this phrase is the catalyst of Luke 3. The baptism of repentance. It is, the catalyst is the thing that starts the fire. It gets it going. I believe that understanding this phrase will help us to understand God's feelings toward baptism. Now, again, I don't know why I've been on this. I'm really not on this just for the purpose of trying to beat up those who believe you need to be baptized to be saved, which is absolutely preposterous, not biblical, not scriptural. But that's not why I'm doing this. I'm doing this so that we can understand. Dad and I have been talking about this. We don't want to take the things that God does and get rid of them because other people are abusing them. And, and or, or I think, for, for example, we lived in the shadow of Bethel and because there's so much hyper uh, garbage, you're kind of jaded toward it a little bit. <clears throat> now, we're, God's moving our church in a whole different direction anyway. But in the same sense, the reason why I want to address this again tonight is because I believe there's some real beauty to what God wants to show us about baptism, but about salvation in this. And I think this will um, help us to understand some things about that. So I want you to grab hold of a couple of facts concerning the perspectives from which the Jews would have understood what John was preaching. Now, one of the passages, and I don't uh, all the country about Jordan. It's not this passage, but one of the other passages says that he was preaching beyond, or he was baptizing beyond the Jordan, which is interesting. Again, location, you can just kind of gloss over that, but 
Beyond the Jordan is outside of the promised land. And I think that there's a precursor here that John the Baptist is fulfilling something showing that God's work is not just for Israel. I think that's what's going on. Um, but I, I want you to understand something, the perspective of the Jews, how they would have seen what John was preaching, how they would have heard when he says, repent for the remission of your sins. What does that mean to them? Uh, the Greek word is aphesis um, or remission. It does not necessarily refer, and you see this used several times in the New Testament, um, even concerning the Lord, uh, concerning his forgiveness toward us. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Same root word. But it, it does not mean forgiveness as much as it refers to freedom or liberty. Now, forgiveness is one thing. But I was thinking about it this morning. Now, it doesn't directly tie, but I thought it was so beautiful what dad said this morning about the Sabbath and how that Jesus didn't break the Sabbath, but he loosed the Sabbath. And, and I think similarly, when you think of remission, it's not about forgiveness. It's about loosing. It's about freeing from. Because you can forgive some. We've said this for years. You, now, you, now that I say this, you'll think back to all the times I've said this very phrase. To be forgiven but not to be born again will mean nothing because you'll just go back out and repeat the thing God has forgiven you of. So if he doesn't set you free, what good is forgiveness? And God instructs us that we should forgive those who ask us to forgive. Um, I think it probably, I didn't look up that passage, but it probably is the same word, meaning to free them. But I believe that God is, is here to forgive and I believe if he asks us that we would forgive without precondition, then I think anybody who asks God for forgiveness will be forgiven. How many would agree with that? That doesn't equal salvation. Forgiveness of sin does not equal deliverance from sin. So, when we think of this word remission, just because you remit someone's sin. In fact, the scripture talks about this. Jesus says this. If you hold a sin against a brother, then it's held to him. But if you remit that sin, if you let it go, then it will not be held to his charge. You know you have the ability to forgive sin against you? You can't forgive sins against God. But if somebody has wronged you, you have the ability to let it go, to loose it from them. But the point being... While God can forgive and God is long-suffering, willing to forgive, it's his desire to forgive, that is not equal new life. So when we think about remission, this word is used, and in fact, I've realized lately that within the apostolic movement, and the reason I mention this is because it's easy to get drawn away from truth. Within the apostolic movement, it's not good enough to be baptized in Jesus' name. I know this firsthand. I've seen it recently. The people who are baptized in Jesus' name go and get rebaptized, And I could not understand why. Because this spell has to be cast over you. These magical words have to be said over you. You have to have said over you, I baptize you in Jesus' name 
for the remission of all of your sins. And that phrase has to be said over you or it's no good. I didn't know that. I mean, the Lord doesn't say that, but that's what there's this feeling of. But what if, what if that remission doesn't mean forgiveness? What if it means freedom? What if it means liberty? What if it means you don't have to sin anymore? God's willing to forgive you without ever being baptized. Because otherwise he would have said to you, hey, listen, if a brother comes to you and says, uh, forgive me. And Peter says, well, how many times do I have to do that? And he would say, every time he, he's baptized and asks you, then you have to forgive him. But if the Lord would require you to forgive without precondition, without any, any uh, action taken, and he says you need to forgive, then I believe that God is the same way. And that he's also going to forgive whoever asks. But remember, what is, what is this about though? This is about liberty from sin. Now, the Jews looking and hearing John preaching the, the message is this. The baptism of repentance. So it's not just baptism. It's a specific kind of baptism. It's a baptism of repentance that John's preaching. Now, Jews, the nation of Israel, has this belief, and they're probably correct in this, but not here to argue this case one way or the other tonight. They believe at the time of Jesus... They believe that they are under Roman occupation, that their oppressors of Rome are there because of the sins of the nation. They believe that the result of the nation of Israel sinning is, is why that they are under oppression. And that's probably a pretty good case for that. Jeremiah talks about that. And in fact, God tells them throughout the Old Testament, I'm going to send you into bondage because you will not obey me. But this is their perspective. A Jew, by nature, does not apply the word of God to him as a person. He applies the word of God to him as a member of the nation. That's how he sees it. He sees himself as Israel. And what God says he is saying to Israel. And so God's not concerned with your individual sin. God's concerned with your national sin. That's how a Jew views it. Because there's an access for them should they sin, right? What do they do? They take a dove or they take a lamb or they take a, a bullock or whatever they can afford and God's got all that prescribed. And so they're not worried about their own sins. They're looking at this and saying, okay, the baptism of repentance for the remission of our sins. So if we are baptized with repentance, then this occupation of Rome is going to be removed from our country. And this is what they are expecting the Messiah to come and do, to liberate their nation. But they're not worried about their sin. They're worried about the occupation. They might be tying it together. They might be saying, well, just like we do, just exactly like what we do. We say, America has gone to Hades in a handbasket. You don't mean yourself. You mean the country. We say, America's a mess. Man, we're in trouble. 
We have abandoned God. Well, not us, but the country. This is how the perspective of the Jews looked. They had tied the oppression of the Roman occupation of their land directly to the lack of keeping the Mosaic law, the Torah that was given by God, but then they added all these other things too that Pastor was talking about this morning. So when John the Baptist is preaching about baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, to them he's not talking about gaining eternal life. And in fact, I would say clearly he isn't talking about gaining eternal life. This exact phrase, the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, I've got to ask you right now, put on your thinking cap, is it possible that John is speaking of gaining eternal life and salvation as the result of his baptism. It's not even possible. How do we know it's not possible? Jesus hasn't come yet. Jesus hasn't shed his blood yet. And we know that the salvation of our lives comes through the shed. Without the shed blood, there is no remission of sins. But John is standing there preaching Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Make you think? It's making me think. Because I didn't think about these things and then the Lord began to put them together in my mind. So what is John offering? Is he offering eternal life? Entrance into heaven? John cannot deliver them. From sin. He has no ability to deliver them from sin. If John, and I'm going to restate this because I think this is really vital, I wanted you to remember the words that were in Acts 2:38: be baptized, repent, be baptized for the remission of your sins. John preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of your sins. Same words. Now I want to ask you this question. Or make this statement really again. If John is saying that baptism that he is offering remits sins, then Jesus' blood is not necessary for you to be saved. This is what John is offering. I can already hear the argument being made for those who believe baptism is essential. And necessary for salvation. And I, I, would, I would assume this would be the argument. But John was previous to Jesus, so his baptism was different. Yeah, that would be a, probably where the, that argument would come from, right? Well, I have, so, I have a couple of questions. I like to ask you questions and make you think. But first off, what in the world was John talking about then? Why would he even say that? Except for maybe we're misunderstanding what remission of sins is all about. Like I said, maybe we're not understanding what remission of sins means. We think it means salvation, but John doesn't think it means salvation. No, he doesn't think it means salvation at all. Because he's not offering. In fact, he goes on in this chapter because they say, man, they're mulling it over. This guy's the Christ. And he says, nope, I'm not the Christ. 
I don't have anything to say to you. In fact, the one coming after me, I'm not able to loose his sandals and all of those things. John understands fully. He has nothing to offer in the way of remission of sins for salvation. The way we think about it, John clearly is not offering that. But John was previous, and so his baptism was different. So I have one question that I think is really powerful that will need to be answered, but I'm going to let Jesus ask the question, okay? How many think that would be a good idea? I want you to look to Matthew chapter 21 really quickly. That is really interesting to me. The Lord put this together in my mind. So concerning was John's baptism different? Maybe John didn't know what he was talking about. Um, so John, sorry, Matthew chapter 21 and verse 24 and Jesus answered and said to them, I will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I and likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. Verse 25. The baptism of John, from whence was it? From heaven or of men? And they reasoned within themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, then why did you not believe him? Was John's baptism, let me ask the question. Jesus asked it. So let me pose this to you. Was John's baptism of God or was he just doing his own thing? How many would raise your hand and say it was of God? Okay. Was he being instructed and inspired by the Spirit of God to baptize? Yes. This is what Jesus is asking, so I think we're clear we can ask this exact same question. If so, was that baptism effective to the thing that John said it was effective to? Yes. You, you all didn't say, only pastor said yes. Well, I lost you somewhere in there. John's baptism, was it of God? Yes. Was it inspired by the Spirit of God that he would be baptizing people into repentance for the remission of sins? Yes. Was it effective? Did it accomplish what John's message was, what the Spirit inspired him to preach? Yes. Were sins remitted then? Yes. Were people saved? No. You following the logic? John's preaching something. John has an understanding of remission that we don't share. John has an understanding of remission that we simply, somewhere along this path, we missed. And we don't understand what he's saying. Did it remove sin and grant them eternal life? No. Apart from the blood of Jesus on the cross, which has not happened yet, it is impossible Clearly, John's baptism offered no eternal life and no new birth. The mission of John's ministry was to point people to Jesus. His baptism was about remitting how they thought, repenting of what their mindset was concerning what God wanted to do in their life. That was what his Ministry was. Don't believe me? I want you to look at two places in Acts really quickly. Acts chapter 13 and verse 24. 
when John had first preached, before his, before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he. But behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. This is what the message, the apostle says that the Baptist was preaching. Now look at Acts chapter 19. Skip over a couple of chapters and look at verse 3. Paul having encountered now a group of John's disciples. Remember, and he asked them, have you received the spirit of God? And they said, we didn't even know there was anything like that available or released. And he says, to what then were you baptized into? And they say, we were baptized in John's baptism. What was John's baptism then? Paul clarifies, and he said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then Paul said, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on the Christ. What is the baptism that John is preaching? It is the baptism of repentance. Pointing toward the forgiveness of your sins. I got to read you this. And pastor said this this morning. I don't normally do a whole lot of, um, I don't normally do a whole lot of um, commentary. There we go. Couldn't think of the right word. I don't do it enough to know the right word. I don't, like dad said, I don't want to go to their schools. But I was reading this this week, and pastor said it this morning, and it was just beautiful. So I, I want to read this. This is from Gil. And, and he says, of John in Luke 3, baptism here is called the baptism of repentance. Because John required repentance antecedent or before, prior to it, be, before baptism. And administered it upon the profession of repentance. And as an open testification of it, and this for or unto the remission of sins. Not for the obtaining of the remission of sins, as if either repentance or baptism were the cause of the pardon of sins. But the sense is this, that John preached that men should repent of their sins, believe in Christ who was to come. And upon the repentance and faith, be baptized in which ordinance they might be led to a fresh view of the free, full forgiveness of their sins through Christ, whose blood was to be shed for many to see it and obtain it. That's it. John is trying to get them to remit their sins concerning who they think the Messiah is John's pointing them to be baptized into this repentance to make a public testimony 
that they are remitting other rabbis in order that they can be pointed to the one who he is going to point them to. John's saying, listen, I need to baptize you so that you can be my disciples. Let's get you in there. Okay, you're my disciple. Make public testimony. Now, he's the guy to follow. That's what this is about. The remission, the freedom from your sin is not through baptism and it's not through repentance. It's through Christ. But if you can't see Christ, you'll never get there. And that's what he's trying to say. So he is baptizing with the baptism of repentance, changing your mind about how you see Jesus. This is what he's trying to say to them. So if John's baptism of repentance into remission of sin was the work of of the Holy Spirit, but it did not produce salvation, but only pointed them to change their mind concerning Jesus, whose blood would wash away their sins. Then, was Peter not restating the message of John the Baptist when he stood up in Acts chapter 2 and said, Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins? Is it not the same message? John is pointing forward to Jesus. Peter is pointing backward to Jesus. But the message is the same from both sides. Baptism didn't cause a new life, new birth, or salvation in John's ministry... And baptism does not cause new life, new birth, or salvation in Peter's ministry. Same baptism. Baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Neither of them bringing salvation. Both of them calling you to repent of how you think about Jesus in order that you can have the right mindset about him so that you can take him as your rabbi, so that he can now lead you in the paths of righteousness and bring you into salvation. Everybody following what I'm saying? I want to look now. I think in order to fully uh, uh, answer this question, I think we need to back up and look at John's message, and then I'll be done um, in in this chapter So I want to look at the third chapter of Luke and the fourth verse through the sixth verse initially. Baptism, repentance for the remission of sins. Verse 4 says, John speaking as it is written, the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, Make uh, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight. And the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. There's some repentance that still is going to happen all the way up in the 10th chapter of Acts by our brother Peter. He's still got to repent from a message that John had preached probably close to five years prior That this is going out to all flesh. But Peter's Jewish nationalism is getting in the way. He's going to have to repent of this thought. 
in order to understand the salvation of God. John's primary challenge to the Jews is that this message is not just about Israel, but about all flesh. Going to be saved by turning the hearts of all men from every tribe, kindred, nation, and tongue to Christ. This punches down on Jewish nationalism that is so ingrained in their belief system and brings up the point that must be overcome in their minds that salvation which God promised is not about a nation, but about a people. How many are thankful that God's salvation is not about a nation? Your salvation is not dependent upon the United States of America. And thank God for it. Because if it were, we would be in trouble. Look at verse 7 through 9. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able to, of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree therefore that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. What happens in verse 7 through 9 gives us clear insight as to how John uh, which was being led by the Spirit of God, clearly, ultimately answers this question. Was the baptism of John salvational, transformational, or just a symbol of transition? This is the question that ultimately we have to answer in ourselves. Was John's baptism regenerational? Did it cause new birth? Or was it transitional, leaving one thing in a direction to go to another thing? It clearly is the second. But I believe that in this even, John is answering this question. John saw baptism 100% as transitional and not as transformational. He saw baptism as the result of a changed life and not as a regenerational cause of new life. How do I know this from these verses? He refused to baptize the Jews unless they showed fruits of repentance. That's what we just read. They came to him to be baptized and he said, why in the world are you here? You have no, who warned you a bunch of vipers? Who told you that you should be here? I'm not baptizing nary a one of you unless I see fruits of repentance in your life. Which begs two statements, and we have to choose one or the other. If good works or fruit are the product of God's Spirit at work in us, and these good works are the fruits of repentance, and repentance precedes baptism, which is what John said, then it stands that baptism is not the start of regeneration, but the result of regeneration. Or, you have a second option. If it is believed that good works are the product of ourselves turning the corner, then our repentance is that of the law and works, 
a ceremonial cleansing within the law initiated by us, then it stands that our salvation is the result of our works and not of God's grace. You only have two options. There is not a third option. There's not an option in which we play a role in our salvation. It's either of works or it's of grace. And what is happening is this Mishnah. Where we have taken what is clearly spoken within the scripture. All over Paul's writings. Clearly laid down by the Lord himself. That our salvation is the result of God's drawing toward us. And we respond toward him. And no man comes to God but by the drawing of his spirit. Your good works are not the result of you. We see this everywhere. The good of our life is the result of God. And if God is at work in me, then what happens is that there becomes a time where I say, I want to be baptized because I want to make a public confession so that everybody knows around me that Jesus is my rabbi and that I need to be held accountable and that I'm not keeping this thing hidden and undercover. There is suggestion in other passages that maybe some of these had come to him at night or in secret and they wanted to be baptized, you know, but they didn't want people to see it. And this is probably a large part of the problem because this is what baptism was about. I heard a pastor say recently that there is never in any point in the scripture where baptism is symbolic. And I would say there is never at any point in the scripture where baptism isn't symbolic. It's always symbolic. It's always just a sign that something's changed in me already. I hope you catch something here and I want to put together now and I'm working to work closing. I want to put together even more firmly. I've alluded to it, but Acts 2 and Luke 3. Now I want you to listen starting at verse 10. People having heard the message of John. People know. Now, I believe this isn't just John standing there saying, hey, who wants to be baptized? This is the American gospel. Who wants to be baptized for the remission of your sins? Me. Sounds good. I don't... Anybody here want to go to hell? No. Any... Well, then just repeat this prayer after me. This is not what's happening. John has been ministering in this region. And people know what he's preaching. It's clear what his message is. And even if we're not certain... He's already talked about it in the preceding verses of this chapter. But I want you to look at verse 10. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do? He answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also the publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed unto you. 
And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, What shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. What shall we do? What shall we do? What shall we do? Peter preaching on Acts 2. On the day of Pentecost. Preaches the message in which he points everyone to the Christ. Just as John has been doing. And their response is what? Shall we do? Are the people in Luke 3 asking John, what do we need to do to be saved? Would anybody make the assertion from the text we just read that they are asking John, what must we do to be saved? No. That's not the context at all. What must we do to repent? That's what they're asking him. They're not asking him about salvation. He's not offered salvation. Remember, John can't offer salvation. What they're asking him is he is telling them, y'all need to repent. How? How? How do we repent? This is what is being offered to each individual group. John has a different instruction. It is not a unilateral answer. But it's interesting to me that each of these groups are represented. Common people. Tax collectors. And zealots. John's message is going out to the ears of a group of people. Now I want to ask you. The common fishermen, the tax collector, and the zealots, are they in the crowd? Is it possible that John's message, he's already spoken and possibly even baptized? I, I mean, it's just conjecture, but the disciples of Jesus... These three groups, common people, tax collectors, and soldiers, have come to John and they've asked him, what shall we do? For each of them, repentance following Jesus required a different response. When Peter, who happens to be a common fisherman, stands up to preach and is asked the question after commanding them to repent. What shall we do? His response is this. You need to repent. You need to change your mind. You need to be baptized in the name of the one that you hung on a cross. For all the world to see 
Now for all the world to see, you're going to have to go down in the water in his name so that you can be liberated from what you've done with him. Oh man, the apostle Paul, he was baptized too. Yeah, the same guy who was going in to the churches, taking people out of the synagogues who were Christians, putting them in prison and having them killed at times. The instruction to him, what do I need to do? You better get out in the public in a pool of water where everybody can see that you're taking on a different rabbi. Because you can't just show up to the church later on and say, hey, by the way, um, I'm here on peace terms this time. They've all been paying the price. You're going to have to pay the price. There are different instructions of repentance for every single one of our lives. The question bears for all of us. Do we ask the Lord then, what should I do? I'm not actually sure if we have ever been instructed now, probably in some way, and certainly I would hope we have, but I'm thinking back to all of my years in hearing of salvation. I don't know that I've ever heard somebody say that we should ask the Lord, what do I need to do to repent? Because I'm going to tell you what, for some people, they're not going to be able to own a TV. not but what we want is unilateral statements that apply to all men and that require nothing individually of us we want to be individuals when it comes to serving God we don't want to have to be told what to do but we also want to grab onto that grace that's unilateral and that covers everybody's sins but dare we stand before God and say Lord what do I need to do? Not about salvation. Salvation's coming from you 100%. But what do I need to do to repent of how I've thought about you? Of what, how I've lived my life? And for each of us, that's going to be a different response. I'm sure that for, for some of you, you can think about the the series of events that happened in your life when you begin to come to the Lord. And I could tell us that for probably every one of us, those events were different because y'all are here and truly do love the Lord. I don't have any question about that. The other thought that comes to my mind is repentance is not a one-time thing. Is it possible that in our pursuit of the Lord and, and all of our understanding and growing and grace and knowledge, is it possible that we pick up some wrong thoughts and some wrong ideas? Is it possible that while we're trying to call him rabbi, we got a lot of other things that are occupying our minds and our time that he can't even speak to us? And when you hear a message like this, you say, oh man, that's really good. Wow, thank you, Pastor Rodney. That's awesome. Or do you step back and say, Lord, whoa, whoa, whoa what do I do here? Because this isn't about you getting encouraged and walking out the doors and just, well, I'm going to come to church next week. No, no, that's not what this message is about. This message is about the Lord providing salvation to my life and me making sure I'm keeping my mind right about Him. 
I want to read these next two verses. And as the people were in expectation, all the men mused in their hearts of John, whether he was the Christ or not. And John answered, saying unto them, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, whose latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John's baptism was to repent of how they thought about God, what they perceived of the Messiah. This was effective to the hearts of the people. I will also say this. It seems pretty clear to me, not just from the evidence that we have concerning Jesus, but from John's words here. That he says, I'm going to baptize you with water, and he's not. He's painting the contrast. Everybody, which I, I believe it's true, everybody says that they all automatically assume that the, the baptism is a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection. But I think that the bigger picture is one of submersion. It's one of being engulfed. And John is saying, listen, I am just dunking you in water. And, and you're just taking on my teaching. And you're just list, You're saying amen to what... It would just be like if you all said afterwards, they say, hey, how many of you agreed with me? Okay, well, let's dunk you. That means you agreed. And that's basically what's happening there. Now, we're taking that on and we're, we're believing in that. And, and his point is, listen, I, I'm doing this. That's not what he's going to do. What he's going to do is he's going to submerge you in his spirit and in his fire. He's going to begin to purge things out of your life with his fire. And you're going to be encompassed by his spirit. His spirit is going to saturate you. It's going to completely envelop you. It's going to cover you. He's painting an opposition. Now back to the book of Acts. And I want to finish there in the second chapter of Acts. And the 36th verse. And I just want to leave this in your mind fresh and new. Therefore... Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they had heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I ask this question again then. Was Peter's message the culmination of John the Baptist's message? John said, the one coming, he's going to baptize you. He's repentance, baptismal, for the remission of sins. That's what we're working with here. But the one coming, he's going to baptize you with his spirit. Which pastor's been sharing with me, and I'm sure he'll probably talk at some point on this. But for the point of this message tonight, I think I need to steal it from him quickly. And that is, what is the, what is the baptism of the spirit of God? Except the birthing of the new life inside of you. 
I was just baptizing you in water, but he's going to come and he's going to baptize you in his spirit. Peter says, listen, this is what you need to do. You need to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And you're going to be filled with the spirit of God. Was Peter's message the culmination? It produced the same response in his hearers. Not what must we do to be saved, but what does repentance look like for us? This is what the response was, both from John's message and from Peter's message. And I will step out on a limb and say this, that if our messages do not leave people asking, what must I do to follow Jesus? Then we probably have not preached the gospel of Christ. I think the message is not a, it's not a question of do you want to be saved? That cannot be the message. The message is what do I need to do? Paul gives all kinds of instruction on this. Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. It's not about you, it's about the drawing of the God Spirit and all of, all of that. But was Peter's message the culmination of John's message? It pointed directly to Jesus as the one who, who promised to come, the Messiah. And it left those who believed filled with the Spirit of Christ, which was prophesied by John. All of these facts point us to understanding that baptism of repentance was a sign of transition and not the point of regeneration. And I believe this, that the message of John and Peter is the message still effective today. I think it's just really interesting to me that John preaching before even the ministry of Jesus had happened and Peter preaching after the crucifixion and they are preaching the same message same message, eliciting the same response. Repent and look to Jesus. Neither is there salvation in any other name. There's no other way. There's no other truth. There's no other life. I hope that this will even further encourage you in understanding what baptism is about and maybe hopefully what salvation is about. Pastor, why don't you close this?